0: this particular subject, is something that has uh, taken us by storm. The issue, I mean, obviously this came to the fore with the news that there were refugee children, minors, who had somehow disappeared from you know, their, their, their residencies, their com- the complexes that they were kept in, whatever the, they were. But this opens several cans of worms. It's leads us to discuss whether, you know, how these, these miners arrived at these shores, wh- whether their parents perished at sea, for instance, or during the trip over to, to the UK seeking refuge, um, about why it was that they were kept in the conditions that they were, and were, they, were these conditions apt, appropriate, were they uh, suitable, were they? Uh, and obviously the issue of safety. I mean, how safe are these, these, these minors? And obviously, when we're talking about the issue of refugees, we're talking about all refugees of all ages, of all origins, of all causes to become refugees. But when it comes to children or to minors, it's particularly problematic. And obviously, this then brings us to discuss issues such as, uh, you know, the Muslim community, for instance, and its own response to refugees coming in, particularly children who, for some reason, are unaccompanied. So, so all of these issues. I mean, they're, they're, it's 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 such a, a difficult subject, but at the same time, quite a, a relative,
1: a, a, a relevant, and quite an important one. Absolutely. And if we just go back to the point about, you know, how how what happened to these children while they were coming here. So, I think this is an area which we haven't really. I mean, when I did my article on this just last week, and um, and when I say, you know, uh, I my article, but actually, you know, my family group and my uh, the work that we do with Safe Passage and, you know, other organizations to support these children. We know that they've not only gone through the trauma of coming here. So all of these questions remain unanswered. Like when, at what point did they lose their family? At what What did they go through? Did people take advantage of them? Were they abused? Were they exploited? You know, and... What actually happened to them on their way? Because some of them are as young as, what, 11, 12, 13, unaccompanied children who come here. Uh, the vast majority of them, I think so it's, it's important. important
0: to even think about.
1: Yeah. Um, it, when you think
0: about a 10, 11, 12 yeah, year old. Coming here. On their own, without their parents.
1: And we don't know what their real story is and when they left. and when, And the trauma of the places that they've come from, you know, so... I and mean, we were talking just earlier about the the earthquake in and that just is an, another added trauma to the people who are already refugees in that area war whatever it might be poverty you know what makes a child leave if they left that place on their own what makes a child leave a place like that on their own to seek out a better life these are the children we're talking about we're talking about them coming here uh hoping that they can find a better life and some i think the key point here is actually they want safety they want someone to look after them that's what we that when you say asylum that's what it means you know you're seeking someone t- to protect you that's what they're coming here for and and yet the issue that we're going to talk about is they've come here and then they now go missing and so they're not even being looked after. So all of those things remain like it's a major thing. Um what's the responsibility of the Muslim community? I think this, you know, like you just said that, you know, I think maybe that's something that Sheikh, you could touch upon, but you know, it's it, it's a big topic. I mean, we're but Muslims here.
0: I, but if I may, I mean, the, the points that you 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 mentioned are quite uh, important foundations, the questions that you you pose—quite important foundations—to start to ask a question. Before I come to the Muslim community, there is uh, there is a responsibility that governments have, and particularly our government, which receives these children, regardless of whether begrudgingly or, or, or you know in a, in a welcoming fashion. But it has a responsibility. It has a responsibility by virtue of international treaties, by international law, by. You know human rights declarations and and all these uh, these 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 aspects is the government is the government doing all that it could is it doing what it should in terms of of these minors?
2: Sahib, I think we'll forget you on that one because uh, obviously as obviously as an imam, I'm really sometimes you could say you know gobsmacked <laughs> or you could say we are not doing enough even as people in Masajid. So, you're right when you pointed out that this should first be addressed from the government level and they need to channel these children, especially I feel if they are of Muslim faith, Mm. then our duty and responsibility for those who are most vulnerable is the homes they are going to be put in, placed in, and if that is not going to be supporting these vulnerable children, then uh, I think as the community itself, we have failed in protecting and safeguarding the most vulnerable in our communities. So generally, we find that this is not much spoken about, you know, mas- Masajid, and we don't really pay much attention because we have just taken, we don't even know uh, the number of children.
0: That, that's what I wanted to say, because we don't know the facts. We don't know even the basic facts. How many of these children? Where did they come from? The questions that uh, Thaqib mentioned, that what were the conditions that led them to feel that leaving their homeland, leaving their families, leaving their relatives was far safer than staying. I mean, we, we don't know these things, do we?
2: Yes, and that's, I'm just thinking, it was only a few days back, I, in fact, last week I was invited to go to a school and there were young children from different backgrounds, of you know, Muslim faith, and they were having discussion about the prayer facility in the school. They don't want to offer their prayer in the school, they want to go to the masjid and the school does not give them permission. So I'm just thinking, it just comes to mind that these were only 15, 16 year old kids. And they were studying in that uh, college. And now I'm thinking uh, with this discussion that there are children, uh, we don't even know about them. We, we don't, don't even know their names.
1: Yeah. And uh, I think some uh, context here would be really, really useful because the way it's worked for a very long time is that when, uh, when a boat uh, comes to the shore, you know, a small dinghy full of people, and th- what what happens is that they will just start moving on to somebody who would give them help they'll be directed towards either the police or the council or some you know so let's think of our south shore here in in the uk we've got kent you know we've got hampshire we've got some of those local authorities down there brighton um, and these people they arrive and they want asylum the local authority automatically would be responsible because it falls under local authority but the number of people who've been coming here by boats um has increased because of what's happening globally and uh, and and when we talk about government responsibility i think we've also got to look at how uh, our government and foreign policy impacts what happens across the world and why people are coming here
0: as as someone who's uh, yeah. led so many protests I, I i myself have made claims that to be honest I thought made sense, but I had no substantiation to it. And that is that the wars that we fight in Iraq and Afghanistan will ultimately have ramifications that reach our shores. Now, I couldn't have at the time of those demonstrations, uh, uh, you know, articulated how those ramifications would. But now we're seeing them. We're seeing how our involvement with illegal wars abroad, uh, you know, how they ultimately culminate in thousands, probably even hundreds of thousands of people trying to reach our own shores. And in these ways that we're talking about. So if
1: we start with that point, right, and then we go to the next point. So now they've arrived here, those people, and amongst them are children who are without their parents. Okay. And what would happen to these children Ultimately, it would have been the local authorities, Sir Kent. Kent was the, the main local authority who were taking these children. The way it works in this country is that if a child, it, their parents are deemed that they are unable to look after that child, or if a child doesn't have parents, the local authority assumes parental responsibility. Okay, it's a so basically the council becomes the mother and father of that child. Exactly. And the term used is corporate parent. Okay, so it's this, this term that the council, the local authority becomes the corporate parent for the child. It's very
0: horrible, I have to say.
1: This is an <laughs> idea which many people who don't come, who, who, who don't understand how the system works here, struggle to understand. The local authority has a responsibility to ensure that every child in that local authority is protected, is safeguarded, is uh, receiving an education to the extent that, you know, this is what the human rights, or you could say that the rights of the child are according to the UN conventions, according to the laws that we all want um, What understand. That, how that's translated here in this country is that if the local authority feel that you as a parent or me as a parent, I'm not looking after my child and they they are at risk or they are being harmed, then they have the right to take the child away. And this is this is something that happens, right? We understand that some children, many of the children in the, the system that we say looked after children who are up for foster care, et cetera. It's because the local authority have, have seen that the parents are either alcoholic, they're on drugs, they, you know, there's the domestic violence at home and these are like the, the three. So the authority ones. comes the in, assumes care in. of those children. Social worker would go in, remove the child. I've been in that situation because I've worked in children's services. And honestly, I can tell you, you never want to see how a mother reacts when her child is taken away. It is, it is the most horrific thing that I've experienced being from the side of having to remove a child. And we had to do it because you make that decision that this is the, the, most, this is the best thing for the child. Because if I re- leave the child here, something ba- bad is going to happen to that child. This is a child who doesn't have parents, who doesn't have anybody to look after them. We're talking about these children who have gone through traumatic experiences. So two years ago, Kent said to the government, we can't carry on doing this. There are too many children. There are too many children coming who are unaccompanied. And the home office then started taking responsibility. And they brought in what's called a national referral mechanism. So that it wouldn't be Kent that would have to look after all of these children. They would be, they would refer through this national referral mechanism, these unaccompanied asylum seeker children to different local authorities across the country. And those local authorities wouldn't have... In the beginning, it was optional. And then afterwards, because there were so many children, they said, no, you don't have an option anymore.
0: So basically, these children would become... The guardian would become the home office.
1: Not a guardian. Just they would be the, the mechanism to get the child from... They've arrived to get them to a local authority who would then give them... A, care a foster they, carer or yeah. you know put them in care so this was a mechanism that the home office took on part of what was decided was that the home office would act very quickly that the child you you, how long are you gonna have a child in the home office care i mean the home office doesn't provide care like a local authority they don't have social workers they don't have i mean even the police force works with the local authority so They don't really have those ways of uh, looking after the child as parents would. Um, So that has to happen very quickly. What we're seeing, however, is these children are being placed in hotels by the home office. And not only are they being placed in hotels for like maybe a day or so, because, yeah, you could say maybe that's acceptable before they're then taken to a local authority. But this is going on for days and weeks and months and some of these children have, have remained in these hotels for, you could say, for almost a large part of the year. Now, that's not an acceptable place to keep a child. They don't have any access to mental health support. They don't have anybody to advocate for, their, for them as parents. And so this is not an acceptable thing for the Home Office to be doing. And this is what we, we wrote to the, the Home Office. We wrote to uh, the, the secretary last year, as part of a number of organizations in the care sector, we're part of Children England, um, and many of the members of Children England also wrote to them, uh, that this practice needs to end. And at that time, 44 children had gone missing. The youngest, I think, was 13. And so if it was a local authority, and imagine a child in foster care and the child went missing, immediately the mechanisms are there in place, the process is there, that the police would look for that child. But we're talking about children who aren't even placed in care yet. So, they're so nobody's looking for them. They're, they're in limbo. They're, they're in, in limbo. limbo. So, so even, if people, even if the police are looking for them, we have now a situation where more than 200 children have gone missing. Imagine more than 200 children I mean, have if, gone if, missing.
0: If I may, I mean, we're talking here about all children. Regardless of, regardless their, of their, faith, yeah. their background, their culture, their
2: faith, regardless of all of that. But just generally, most of these children are from Muslim backgrounds. Because of the wars, because, because of, of the, the wars, strife, yeah. because
0: of the devastation. Uh, it's uh, SubhanAllah, it's, uh, it seems that the, the Arab and Muslim worlds are more afflicted than, than any other. So it makes sense to assume that most of those 200, uh, if not all, happen to be Muslim. But, but how, I mean, you as an imam and one of the, the most prominent centers in, uh, in, in, in the UK. Why is it that the Muslim community is in a way oblivious to not only the, the, the existence of this problem, but to how to react to it? I mean, I would suggest that amongst all the calamities that every single Friday we he, uh, we listen to our venerable Imams uh, speak about, you know, whether it be in Kashmir or whether it be in Palestine, or whether it be in here or there, this isn't talked about. Because to me, at least, as a Brit, as a British Muslim, this is far more important. It's, it's at my doorstep.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, when I'm just listening, it's like saying, uh, because it, it's like brought to my attention. Otherwise, I would not even really give this any attention, so, given that I would may probably the mindset is let's we have to give priorities to what's happening as you know these places where there is war. we want to inallah Allah is instructing you to establish justice uh, So our focus is mainly to try and establish justice and try and support the prisoners and in fact right now it seems as if though we have failed in our responsibility and duty. When we really think about All, uh, Almighty Allah Taala also addresses in the Quran. Uh, first in the sequence is is the yatim is mentioned even before the t- taking care of the masakin. The yeah. uh, So when you think about uh, Allah Taala is really testing us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so idha uh, Rabbi really so, I think when Almighty Allah Ta'ala, yes, mentions in the sequence, the orphans are mentioned before even the masakin. So, uh, why is it not addressed? We have not really, it's not been really drawn to our attention. We have not given focus on it. It's like I'm hearing for the first time 200 uh, probably children are missing. And this is like news. I'm I'm like shocked. Myself, and uh, I think this needs to be addressed, and we need to really have. Is it not, is it
0: not bewildering, Sheikh Suleiman, that uh, we in the UK, according to the last census, are almost 4 million? I would say even probably closer to 5 million unofficially. 4 million people um, who, who are Muslims, that when we have several hundred, I'm going to say, just a figure that I've plucked out of thin air, several hundred. Muslim children, refugees arriving without their parents for some reason or another, no. that, they, that they cannot, that they don't find houses amongst those four million? Is, is that, I mean, is, is that even an acceptable proposition to make? It's, it sounds to me like, uh, I don't know, I mean, it's a failure on one level. Like I said, the, the very first pillar of, of responsibility must fall with the government and the official authorities. But surely the community must bear some sort of responsibility.
2: Yeah, now that you mentioned that, it just brings to mind that when we did have a program on fostering and adoption in our center in Purley, I do remember also that there were not enough homes uh, or did not meet the the criteria or did not understand, the meaning they did not even fulfill the criteria to have. And I think there is the interest. Many do want to foster. They want to bring children in their homes. But they are not meeting and ticking the boxes. So I think this is an issue which they needed support and help with. So I think that's why we have this fostering agencies trying to create awareness that other Muslims who really want to follow, uh, they know the process of how to get your application approved and this is where uh, they need a lot. I think the Muslim community needs a lot Uh, of support. uh,
1: With all due respect, Sheikh, to you know and I agree that that is an area which is an issue which, you know, we are working as we have, you know, my foster family, the Muslim Foster Network as a support network for Muslim foster carers. You know, we've got my adoption family, the work that we're doing in the adoption sector. We're doing a lot in the sector, and this is a real issue. But I don't think it's an acceptable um, position to to use this issue as a reason for why we haven't got enough. Because when we look at it statistically, right, we have why we haven't got enough Muslims come forward, statistically, right? Even if we say, according to the last census, right, that sixty percent of Muslims are living in the most deprived areas, that leaves forty percent of Muslims still living in, the, you know, now forty percent. Now, even if we say from that forty percent, okay, that, um, you know, they are uh, young couples, perhaps they may have children, okay, but you're gonna you're going to have a percentage, maybe. Let's say it might be a third, or even if it's a quarter of them, who are old enough—they've they're early nesters. We call them that. Like, so their children have left home. They've got, you know, they're perhaps your age, my age, or your age. And so it could be that they have children who've left home. They've got home. They've got rooms at home where they could have other children, and they've got the wealth. When you still look at it statistically, we still should have more than enough
2: families like that just within the muslim community to take their children it's just that i'm um, think, thinking about that issue on because you know there are many families their own concern about their own children uh, because of the uh, government you know prevent strategy for example so now you have this issue because if they present themselves and then they're going to be investigated yeah. uh, the issue on extremism radically these children you will find it's going to be more difficult and they would not want to place some children into good for muslim homes because they have not met even a different criteria which is set by somebody else so i think the standardization or the regulatory bodies and how it has been assessed it really needs to be looked into because
0: you you know sheikh when you when you mentioned that um, let's say uh, many households that were willing essentially to take in um, refugee children they didn't meet the criteria who sets the criteria I'm I'm assuming local authorities, or is it is
1: it, it is a national a, policy? No, local authorities. Local I mean, authorities. You've got you've got uh, local authorities who have their uh, fostering uh, teams. So you've got local authority fostering teams, and then you've got independent fostering agencies. So you might have a, a national, and there is some uh, fostering agencies there who cater for Muslim foster carers. There is one that we know, Foster Care Link, who who generally uh, only recruit Muslim foster carers. Uh, We're not an agency, we're a support advocacy for Muslim children in care and Muslim carers. Um, But there are many local authorities who will uh, just take the process uh, of how they assess and go through. But this This is part of the problem, yes. this
0: This needs some sort of initiative from the community itself to approach relevant authorities and say we would like to negotiate how these criteria are set. I recall only recently when we had the, um, the, you know, the regulations regarding Ukrainian families coming and seeking refuge, that was made quite uh, facilitated and easy for everyone concerned within a matter of days. With obviously there was media pressure, obviously there was pressure from government, obviously there was, but but I think that it takes an, an open dialogue between the authorities concerned and between. Um, Muslim family and house, families and households that are willing and eager to take on uh, these children to have some sort of discussion and conversation because surely, surely, I mean, you're talking about criteria. I, I read just a little bit about this just before the program and um, obviously having, for instance, a spare room, okay? I'm going to assume that out of the 60% that you mentioned, most of them, the problem is that they don't have a spare room.
1: But Precisely, I, yeah. The, the ones living in deprived areas. In deprived yeah. areas. Unlikely, I mean, I mean that that's,
0: that's likely. And, but I recall growing up w- with all my siblings being in the same room, and we were four, and we were in the same room. Surely, surely that child becoming a second or third or even fourth child in the
1: same room is far better than staying at a hotel. Exactly.
0: Uncared for.
1: And going missing. Unprotected, and then going missing. Yeah. So in this situation... Because there is a complete breakdown of child protection, you know, the, the safeguarding of these children is not happening. If they're going missing, it means it's, it means it's just, and, and when we say they're going missing, actually, what, what, what really is happening is you've got, uh, well, we use the term county lines. Yeah. So you've got uh, drug gangs yes, and they're yes. using these yes. children yes. because that's, their children it's not that there.
0: they walked out and went somewhere. Oh, no. no it's probably because someone picked them up someone someone's offered and they're, them offered they're them in cash. peril right now
1: yeah they've offered, and exactly what what is it's actually happening to them it's at the moment exploitation it could be sexual exploitation it could be, i mean let's not go down thinking about all the worst things that could be happening because actually we know that the situation is really really bad the fact is that they've been let down by a, the government who have got a system like this that is not putting them in the care sector but also they've been let down like we're saying, by the Muslim community not only the people who have not come forward to, when they can care for these but also Muslims who are in politics whether it's local councillors or people in national government who aren't pressing for this change to happen where local authorities are demanding one that you have a spare bedroom when you balance it up on balance a child going missing from a hotel versus you can put them on a bunk bed yeah. with another child I'd rather, say, put them in a room with another child on a bunk bed where they're more safer. Okay, so this is the extent. So we've got to re-look at this whole system. What do you see? Uh, Because
0: I I still have immense hope uh, for the vast majority of the Muslim community. And I think that once people become aware of the magnitude, just like you said, I mean, we're just hearing, you and I, we're just hearing now that 200 children
2: are... Allahu Alam, in peril. We don't know. And Because I'm just thinking, you know, we, we always hear this last, you no, know, like last 39 or 38, 35 detainees in Contenamo and everybody knows their name, they know how many years, yes. they know details about them. And here we are speaking about children we don't even know We don't know even their know the
0: names of, we don't know where they're from, we don't know the very basic. I would suggest that if there was um, a proper raising of awareness campaign Starting from the mosques, but not limited to the mosques. Going even further to organizations, charitable organizations, to other, to media services, to, to make people aware of the basic facts. You know, putting out bullet points that these are the facts. I believe there there will be thousands of households that will say, "Listen, we're more than happy. We're more than ready. We're more than willing." So where I mean, again, we come back to this. Where do we start? Where, is, where does the responsibility lie when it comes to this? Is it, can, I, can I just sort of be provocative just for a little bit? Is it that we have Islamically, or according to our Islamic understanding at least, a problem with the issue of fostering?
2: I think uh, there has been a lot of
0: awareness. Because obviously there's a conflation to, uh, be, between adoption and fostering. So there's maybe a little bit of blurred lines and people don't fully understand. And obviously in terms of adoption we have, but, but is there something Islamically that needs to be made clearer? No,
2: I think really it is just more to create awareness and more to create a, uh, the facts and the figures and to point out this is what is needed because I think if it comes from the imma uh, in the Masajid, that this is the real concern and issue that we have. These are the children, these are the missing unaccounted for what are we doing and I do know personally there has been in our when after we have that awareness and we had explained the process of how you can become a, a foster carer and a lot of uh, people and a lot of families in fact presented and were very very keen they were uh, families I even know that they don't even have their own children mm-hmm. so they are but somehow I think they were having challenges to get it the whole processed. so I think uh, from that perspective yes there has to be a conference, IMA needs to be gathered in a dedicated, uh, you know, event to highlight the issues that we are facing. But I don't think there's really a concern about do we really need to, is it allowed fostering adoption? I think this is, we've gone over that hurdle, I think. There was time, a time there was challenges, where there was not even awareness. But right now it seems that uh, given that those children are vulnerable and if we fail and we don't give them that support, that means the society and the Ummah, when they abandon those that are most vulnerable, then this is one of the reasons that we will be facing with more challenges and more calamities. So I think the responsibility is more not it's, it's just like it's not talked about, it's not spoken. And there could be possibly some who still are, you know, they're still not really convinced they still need a little bit of motivation but i think what will really uh, make it more easy for us to get the word out and to get Aima to have a dedicated sermon a khutbah on this topic yeah. and also to bring in the new facts and figures Absolutely. because sitting here on the hiwar tv and first time i'm listening to these yeah. facts and figures i'm also shocked yeah. and i'm feeling myself that i we only go and we speak about causes that everybody speaks about and you know we don't really speak about this uh, there are many many charitable organizations in the uk They are like now that is the earthquake in uh, Turkey. You will find all the organizations, they will be there and charity uh, support and uh, and they will be giving their support and financially. But then uh, we don't hear much about the children and who is giving that support. And by the way, I recall um, a number of years
0: ago when um, uh, we highlighted the cause of uh, victims of domestic abuse. And um, and and that raised a level of awareness whereby we had you know several donors come forward and say we'd like to uh, you know establish safe houses for these um, victims of domestic abuse, whether whether they be men, women, children, um, and and since then that sector has grown. I you know I, I think that something similar needs to happen, but obviously yeah. you'd know no more. But the thing is, you know, just like the sheikh just said, I I also feel extremely uh, responsible and um, shamed into not even hearing about the organizations that you just mentioned. I mean, Muslim fostering, for instance, or the such. I mean, I I never knew that these
1: organizations um, existed. I I joined, I joined my family group about, uh, what is it, about nearly uh, almost uh, coming up to two years. And um, CEO, Shadim Hussain, you know Shadim very well. Uh, SubhanAllah, he had a stroke uh, earlier this year or last year. It was in about around June. And mashallah, he's made some fantastic progress. And, uh, you know, we hope he'll make 100% progress and be back. But the work is work which needs to be supported. You know, the work of my family group. And actually, what really surprised me uh, when I came into this, I came in as a volunteer because I I saw Shadim and his daughters and they were, Uh, up in Bradford in a community center surrounded by all these boxes so I said to them what are you doing what what are all these boxes for and he said these are gift boxes that we are packing for Ramadan and Eid to send to Muslim children who are in the care of non-Muslim carers and there were thousands of boxes there are thousands of Muslim children in the care of non-Muslim carers and he, he said, we want them to know that from the Muslim community, there is still someone out there who cares for them, who is thinking about them, who is looking after them. They would have Eid cards in there, recipes. And we've uh, since I joined as a volunteer, I brought my daughters on the day. We started packing those boxes. We've done this every year to send gift boxes for these Muslim children in the care sector who are in the care of non-Muslims. I've spoken to carers from, you know, the farms in Yorkshire. You know, imagine a farmhouse in Yorkshire and they've got a Muslim child and they said, can you send us a, a prayer mat, uh, you know, a, a translation of the Quran in Dari. You know, Dari is a, a language from, you know, near it's like Farsi, you know, Persia, you know. And I thought, well, how, where am I going to try to look, go, get, you know, Muslim organizations to say we need somebody to do this. And also I find that we were the only organization representing Muslim children in the care sector. My Family Group. They're the only Muslim organization. By the way, it's
0: called My Family. It's not your family you, My your group. Family it's Group. It's called My it's Family called, Group.
1: It's called, yeah, <laughs> www.myfamilygroup.org.uk. You can see all the work that we do. But it needs the support, financial support, of people to, for it to carry on. And that's a, uh, another thing that as needs well as,
0: as well as lobbying politicians to do with exactly this, the thing that you talked about and in order to discuss the issue of criteria. To make that criteria less restrictive, exactly. to make it more open for people to accept, uh, you know, refugee children.
2: Yeah. So I was just thinking also, and during you know uh, the Afghanistan, and when we had the new government, and there were many refugees. Then I remember also Sh- Shadim contacting me because there were many that were in the hotels and they needed support. There was the language barrier. There was no, they didn't even have copy of Quran or Musalla. So there was that type of support. So, now that there is the the, the children that are unaccounted for, mm. so I think this is not, uh, the community are unaware of. Mm. And when we had the program also in our masjid, it was more, is there any, the local authority actually are asking, is there more Muslim carers? Can we get more families on board? And then there was the discussion of if the children have been placed in homes where both there is father and father or mother and mother, you know, that ish. So what happens to those type of children when they have been placed in those homes? Mm. And then there is the discussion about the food and the halal diet. So there's so much of challenges that we were only focusing on. But right now it seems that we have moved to a new level and I'm a bit concerned that it's the first time obviously about the children that are completely unaccounted for and missing. Yeah. So how do we deal with this? I'm it's it's a new it is a new thing because
1: it you know, we were only talking about 2 years ago this new national referral mechanism the home office stepping in you know since then uh, this issue has come out and the way i perceive it is that it is an unprecedented failure of safeguarding we haven't seen this level of failure of safeguarding children in this country full stop ever you know and it comes at a time when uh,
0: when public funds are being cut you know tremendously so that basically there is even less funds for people to come in to to you know to help out to become specialized in this particular sector so it's becoming you know to an extent similar to the nhs it's being pushed towards privatization and to towards being uh, something within the, the 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 private sector more so than it being a government responsibility and that's problematic but i'd like to um, something that I read uh, about the incident of the 40 children gone missing in Brighton, was it? In a Brighton house, right, yeah. that um, it was said that they came from Albania. What's the story with Albania? I, 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 did, I didn't get it. Why Albania? Because I, I haven't heard of a war yeah. going on in Albania.
1: We've got to see uh, this in two ways, I think, right? The first way is that um, a lot has been talked about from you know certain politicians maybe certain government organ, you know certain government government bodies and um uh, you know coming from uh, politicians mainly that these people that are coming here aren't really coming from uh you know war-torn countries they are albanian criminals they are being either trafficked here as part of kind of these network of you know criminals and gangs or they're coming here because you know they're just using taking advantage of this whole thing of you know um, migrant crisis to come to this country so if they come here we'll send them to Rwanda this is a whole kind of thing at the moment there are question marks around that first of all Uh, you know are is this really the case are uh, Albania we don't even know if Albania are giving citizenship to because this is what happens some, sometimes some European countries give citizenships to um, migrants who are coming from you know they're seeking asylum they, they're moving from so we don't even know whether they're really ethnically Albanian in the first place right there's a whole question around that but the other the flip side of it is when we start going into this type of language we we end up seeing these children not as children. Not as children, yeah. We we end up putting a question of, uh, is this a problem? The reality is they're children. They are seeking asylum. They need a safe place. Regardless of where they come from. Regardless, regardless of their... Regardless, even if they were trafficked. Or even if the child... We're talking about a child. Even if the child themselves had drugs on them or not. You know, we have to really see them as a victim. You know, they may be seen as uh, somebody committing a crime from one angle. but actually. They're still a child, they, they were forced into this somehow. They were exploited, okay? They, we have to see them as a victim. And when we stop doing that, when we start taking the dialogue to are they Albanians or are they, there is an element of dehumanizing them. And this is a very big thing that we're is seeing. Is there a threat, is there a
0: risk or a, a threat even of this whole issue being politicized? So it, rather it is, than the,
1: the, the moment we start talking about and the, what we're seeing that the ethnicities of these children, you know where it's going. It's going in that direction. We're we're seeing it less of a problem. Let's be honest. If they were Ukrainian children, what would be happening right now? It would be all over the news. It would, you know, the government would say, we don't have spaces. We will get rid of this rule of one bed, one, you know, spare bedroom. They would be in the homes of people. We need to see the same thing happening to these children. It doesn't matter whether they're Albanian. The majority of them were Albanian. I I recall, uh, I mean,
0: whenever I... uh, The the whole issue of of refugees and refugees, you know, of real war, real strife, real uh, anguish, suffering, misery. Um, The image of the child, Alan, uh, face down on the sand on an Italian beach, um, always comes to mind. And um, I don't think that there, despite the thousands of images that we've been exposed to over the past, 10 12 years but but i i mean that particular image just breaks me every single time i i recall it and i always you know it pops in my mind every time we talk about refugees and particularly children refugees i mean uh, it's uh it's not only heartbreaking but it's equally heartbreaking how devoid of humanity it seems that we're dealing with this and and this is where i find it extremely problematic just like you said all of a sudden, that child is no longer a child. That child is associated in the same breath, in the same breath, the same sentence with uh, drug smugglers, with uh, you know criminals of various sorts. And all of a sudden, you lose that sort of empathy with with that person being a child, being a minor, being someone who was driven to this despite their their own will. Um, I, I think. And once again, Sheikh S- uh, Suleyman, I think that uh, we can do far better and we can do far more.
2: Yes, indeed. I agree with you. And this conversation itself has really uh, touched my heart. And it's giving me that feeling that really we need to reach out to all of the masajid. We need to think about, even if it's speaking about the virtues of the orphans itself, yeah. you know, as a topic, when you think about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam himself saying, <laughs> that in itself is very powerful if you just think that so close will a person be to the Prophet wasallam, the one who takes care of the orphans. So these type of children, uh, and when you look at the, our history of Islam and also those who came in the past, great, great scholars, great, great, uh, whether it comes the likes of, uh, abu Huraira radiallahu anhu or even jabir ibn abdullah you know they were companions of the prophet sallallahu and they were like orphans the prophet himself as an orphan but see how almighty allah ta'ala uh, gave him uh, you know that shelter for our what was the and so all these need to be again as part of our life as part of saving the life of those because life is very very precious so from the, all of the many of the things, I think it's most important taking care of the, the, the most vulnerable. Can I just come back to honor, a yes. very
0: important point? I mean, w- what you mentioned is essential. But uh, what's interesting is that the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam in his hadith about uh, myself and the, he who sponsors an orphan is in paradise, you know, w- together. Uh, the orphan and his or her religion isn't specified. I, I mean, we talk about Muslim refugee children and being sponsored by or taken into or cared by Muslim families. But once again, I mean, these are children. Child, so child. any child, any child from wherever mm-hmm. the Muslim community should feel that kind of urge and responsibility from, you know, the values that they hold, the, the faith that they believe in, um, to take in those children, to care for them. To you know make sure that they're safe they're protected it's it's something once again i mean, and despite the calamities that I mean we could draw lists and lists of crises and calamities that need our attention, need our support financial and otherwise, but this is at our doorstep this is happening in our midst this is happening because of wars being fought mostly unfortunately in Arab and Muslim lands uh it's, it, it 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 tells me that, you know, there is, there must be um, an added responsibility placed on the, let's say the million and a half, let's not go down the road of four million, and the million, million and a half people who have the ability, who meet the criteria of taking in children, regardless, once again, regardless
1: of whether those children are Muslim or otherwise. And this solves a problem, actually, because one of the barriers that, get put up when with local authorities when somebody comes forward to become a foster carer. Is if they say, I only want a Muslim child, yeah. then the local authority thinks, well, we're going to spend all of this money to, to to get you ready as a foster carer. And then when we bring children to you, you may not take them. So they will think twice before making you a foster carer. But a child, any child, and this is, I think, this goes back to this question, Sheikh. Some people see it that we are getting paid to do this. We're carers. We're getting paid. Does this reward still apply to them? This hadith of the yatim and looking off Would it still apply if they're getting paid?
2: Yeah, I think there's another point. Obviously, as word, when you think about it, alam yajidka yatim and Fa'awa already. That is very powerful. When Almighty Allah Taala himself says that we not have we not found you as an orphan and we gave you that shelter. So this is the Prophet who took care of him. Abu Talib, and he was not Muslim. I mean, uh, the Prophet ﷺ was actually taken care by Abu Talib, given him the shelter and the protection. And on the other hand, a child is a child until he reaches the age of maturity. So, what is the definition of an orphan? How long will he be remained as an orphan? And generally, we accept that as long as he is not has not reached the age of maturity. He will always be, let if he has lost a father, there are those who only may have lost a mother. So all this is a a discussion that needs, what if a child doesn't have no parents? But uh, you are right when you said that, uh, you know, If it's very challenging because on the one hand, you are thinking we have a duty responsibility to safeguard and protect the iman of the children. Because if they have been placed in a non-Muslim home, and I know what you are saying, that if the child is a non-Muslim and you place him into a Muslim home. So how do we you know, draw a balance? Because now you have to take care of the needs of the child. What if the child may... I think upon previous discussion, the child needs to go to a place of worship. So what do the parents do? So on the one hand, we're saying, yes, we need to take care of the most vulnerable in the society, that is what our Dean teaches us. Whether it's Muslim or not Muslim, just taking care safeguarding, protecting, but on the other hand, the Muslim has an added responsibility of uh, protecting, as our Sharia demands is, you know, the our Deen, our Iman. So I think there needs to be a balance between how do we address it. But yes, indeed, we should welcome all children in our homes. So let me put the question in a
1: different way, because the reality is, what we're not, what we're asking people here is, yes, I would say, donate towards my family group so we can continue doing this work. But actually, the ask here is we're asking people to open the doors of their homes and welcome a child into your own home. This is very different to the ask of many of these organizations that support orphans in other countries because all they say is give us money. £10 a
0: month, £20 a month. Now, this is a
1: big difference. Now, when you say to somebody, we want you to open your doors and take in a child. So the question now is if someone was to do that and they will be paid to do this, right? The local authority will pay you and just... Recently, the government's response to the care sector review, they've said that they're going to increase almost is it 12.5% what foster carers are going to be paid. Now, that's a very good increase. OK, because that's just above inflation. So and you know, other people are still fighting, you know, the nurses, etc. They're still fighting even for trying to get to that. But that's what the government have said for foster carers. They'll pay them this much more. They're going to be paid. Now, if someone is going to be paid to look after this child, on one side, we're saying, yes, it's a responsibility, but will they still be rewarded in the hereafter like this? You know, when you are,
2: as we are speaking, it just occurred to me that, you know, many a times there's a lot of uh, appeals, the sponsor and often, and they show you the photo yes. of the young, young kids. And right now, when you are saying, I think this is in fact more rewarding, because now you are bringing the child into your home, and you're giving that support. And you're giving that care, and you are taking another added responsibility, so the child is in front of your eyes, mm-hmm. which uh, it, it really shows that we should be actually giving more priority and preference to supporting these children, which are right in front of our eyes, instead of just saying, sponsor the child, and you are giving and helping them, a masakeen, which is uh, the normal and the ch- trend of many of the charitable organizations. So I think we need to really. You know, you
0: know, I mean, this is this is quite quite interesting because, like the sheikh said, I mean, it's not just that you're sending enough to clothe them and feed them and maybe you know allow them to go to school with. It's actually giving them the twenty four seven care that you would offer your own child. It's it's even you know to me at least it's even greater an intake than if you were to sponsor, you know, five or 10 or 20 or 50 orphans, however, you know, because because you're affording them that kind of, we call it uh, in the corporate world, pastoral care. You're becoming a parent. You're becoming a parent for that child who, for some reason or another, has arrived in a foreign country, a language which he doesn't speak, people who he doesn't know, um, absolutely out of his or her depth. And... You're affording them um, a safe, loving, caring environment with probably children of their same age. You know, w- immediately. You know, the uh, brothers and sisters. To, uh, to it's uh, it's it's an incredible undertaking. It's a huge re- huge responsibility. And I think it's something that I mean, the sheikh mentioned the issue of the role of uh, mosques and Islamic centres and the such. I think only recently we had in parliament the the um, the publication of a report on british muslim civil society it's a vast civil society it's a vast sector and it contains you know the charitable the uh, you know all sorts of human rights the accountability all sorts of organizations i think this is something that we need to look at and to approach in a different way and like you said at the beginning Thaqib I think it has uh, an array of fields that we need to engage it has the issue of, um, of politics it has the issue of human rights it has the issue of law and legality as well as the issue of our own you know values and religion and faith that drives us towards towards doing this bringing all this together I, I certainly think that we can, you know, make strides in terms of making it easy for Muslim, Muslim families to become carers. And for those children, rather than to be stayed at a local hotel um, in, in I, I don't know, whatever environment...
1: But to be within within loving families, it's uh, it's this, this. You've reminded me of something. I think we had this discussion once upon a time. There's this hadith, uh, and, and 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 correct me if I'm wrong. But the best house amongst the Muslims is the house in which the orphan is well
2: treated. Yes, indeed. Obviously, the again the emphasis will come back to an So the question is, how do we really take care of the orphans? So I think right now our mindset we get very, you know, when the appeals are made, Mm -hmm. let's sponsor an orphan, we're giving the donation and 10 pounds, 50 pounds a month. But to bring that orphan child into your home, and uh, that is something which really we need to... Since then, then,
1: when I thought about this hadith, when you really think about this, we're talking about the best house amongst the Muslims, is the house in which... So the orphan was in the house. And when you really go back in history and, and reflect on the seerah, the life of the Prophet, he had in his house a child whose parents were still alive. You know, Zayd bin Harith And he looked after him as his own son. To the extent he even said, He is my Ibn Muhammad. He said, He is my son. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, Now call him with his father's name. Right? So to the, that extent, he looked after him as his own and the companions would do the same we had so many narrations where you know when one companion would say oh um, my father he's about to pass away he uh, we have nine you know one of the companions said i have nine girls who my father was looking after in our house you know so there are many many examples of the companions did they have orphanages i mean i'm not saying i'm against care homes etc but actually i think this whole idea of orphanages is taking us away from the real idea of bringing the children into the know uh,
0: You know, it's it's important. I mean, whilst we're sort of being a little bit hard on the Muslim community, of course, because we must, and uh, also the entire society, because this is a societal problem. But at the same time, there are so many beautiful stories about households that open their doors to children who are vulnerable, who are who have no proper homes to, to be in, and the stories that they tell about generations after generations of children. I mean, uh, the, the, the mother would, would, would talk about them all being her children. One of them is now in his 20s, and she went uh, to, I don't know, where to Bristol or somewhere recently in order to uh, attend his marriage. And then she has a child who's uh, six years old. Uh, and so, you know, those kinds of homes, they do exist that kind of, of attitude is present, is present. What I think needs to happen is that for regulation, for policies, for local authorities, as well as for the community itself, to come together and to facilitate this so that more and more homes of the like can exist within our midst. I, th- I think that, th- that, that would solve a huge, huge problem and also relieve us a little bit of our responsibility in this particular case.
2: So in every mischief, we do need a dedicated uh, support team